very special episode of Mandatory Music and CD. This week, we all sit down and talk to Max about those itchy parts. No, that's not what we're doing. It's not that kind of special episode. It's a special episode. You didn't tell me we were doing Cat Scratch Fever. (laughs) No, we're here. And you heard the voice. We've got a guest this week. And our guest has chosen our album. But before we get to him and he tells us what the album is and why he picked it, picked it. Max Byrne is back. Maxwell, how are you, my friend? Oh, delighted as always to be with you guys to discuss a bit of music. It's the highlight of my month. So yeah, I'm awesome. Thank you. Yep. And, and we're happy to have you back. Fulton's favorite son is back. And, um, you know, the world <laughs> is better when you're here, Max. So we're, we're glad you're here. And um, oh, in the third chair, um, rocking the bass, bass down at his knee, <laughs> Diamond Dave, how are you? Very good, sir. It's good to be back. And it, it, I agree, it, it is kind of monthly-ish, you know, a monthly-ish highlight because you you go through a solid month of listening to the same album. <laughs> and you so you finally get to discuss it. It, it does feel like a, a little bit of a, uh, I want to avoid the word climax, but it's the only word I can think of right now. But you know, building up to a crescendo, you know, because this was, I, I mean, I obviously heard of Marillion before and and the the singles and stuff but never actually sat down to this album so it was new for me as well and like I say you've been we've all been independently alone with this album for a month or over a month now and, and then you know coming together to just chat music fucking brilliant in it I, mean, I know it first world problems <laughs> like you know <laughs> totally true and it is because you know my wife doesn't care like she this is not an album she's she'd not heard of them either so like you know, when it was lat with appetite, she's like, you know, she's okay if some of that leaks out of the speakers, you know, but like this, she's like, I don't know what that is. So yeah, you are literally alone. And we try not to, we do a little bit in our discord, share our thoughts and stuff, but we try to hold it together. So um, yeah, it's exciting. So we are here um, at the behest of our, so we're trying this maybe every, every four months, every four or five months, we're going to have a guest on and we're going to let the guest pick. And of course, we had Chris Phelps on because we did the crossover episode with uh, Lost Boys. And clearly, if you go back and listen to that show, Chris Phelps would not have picked that movie nor that album. So let's try to... And well, he's always a joy when he shits on things. We thought, let's let people pick things they love and share it with us. So there's... I mean, listen, you guys in our Discord, when we post the show... We know the next day we are going to get an essay response from our guest who has thoughts. So it's time for you to hear his thoughts. Everybody's favorite drummer from North Carolina, Matthew B. Lloyd. Welcome to Mandatory Music and CD. Thank you so much. It's uh, great to be here. I've thought about being here many times, as you say. I, I listen to the episodes and I want to hit pause so I, I can talk. I raised my hand in the car and realized no one's going to call on me. So I better save it for when I get home and I can, you know, type it all up and leave another uh, essay comment in the, in the thread. So I'm, I'm very excited to be here. Um, I'm very excited to talk about one of my, uh, uh, one of my favorite bands. Uh, it's not just like, this is a great album that I love. It's actually like Marillion's like my third favorite band. They're number three. There's Russian Genesis at the top somewhere flip-flopping depending on what day of the week it is. And then Marillion is always number three. Uh, so I'm very happy to get to talk about them, especially since um, they're not a band that 
at least in my world, a lot of people know or even heard of. Tony, you said you never heard of them. No. Uh, Max and Dave have different experiences with them. They've heard of them, but they don't have the same experiences. And I doubt either are as uh, uh, big a fan as I am. Uh, I could be wrong, though, uh, but I'm very excited. So the album is uh, Misplaced Childhood. It's uh, their third album. And I uh, I first experienced it in, uh, I think, 1988. Um, I remember, I can't remember the the first time I heard it. I remember when I bought it, but of course, you know, back then you heard music from friends because they would say, oh, listen to this. And, you know, I think I was probably driving around with a friend of mine uh, from high school, Chris Height, who I still am friends with. And we were like a lot of the same music. He got me into Rush. He got me to go to my first Rush concert, you know, back in 1986. So we've been friends for a long time and he had, he would he would always have different stuff he got them from another friend of of uh, of his that i became friends with but not really ever super close but named john walk up and he would have other stuff just different stuff and it'd be like okay listen to this and so one day he was playing it and I, so it had to be part of probably the beginning you know and i liked it and then like the week later i was at the beach with different friends and there's a marillion album there at the beach and i'm like hey play that i want to hear that and for whatever reason they didn't want to play that they wanted to play you know louder harder heavier metal stuff for being at the beach and i was like i want to hear this album and after i had jaw surgery uh july 13th of 1988 um a week or two later when i was able to drive my car finally again i went to the record store and i bought misplaced childhood and i wore it out that first weekend because of course it's a record and back then you could wear out a record by playing it too many times you know and uh so i think i got it friday afternoon played the probably the rest of that day uh and all of the next day and then by sunday morning i was like i gotta wait to buy a tape to record it because back then you would put your records on tapes to listen to in the car and i wanted the best quality i had um, a fun fact about what I bought that day was I bought two albums that day. I bought Misplaced Childhood and I bought um, a Momentary Lapse of Reason. So consequently, Momentary Lapse of Reason has never been the big album that it is for so many people because I bought Misplaced Childhood the same day and t- liked it so much more. Uh, so that's how I first discovered Marillion and this album. So I don't go back to... 1985 when it first came out but pretty close that's awesome yeah and again i my history with this is last month we picked this <laughs> and uh i've been listening to it then so it has been i've heard of marillion for six weeks and um <laughs> that is my that's my version now max you knew who they were you actually had to say it um because i didn't even know, i didn't even know how to say it how do you say it you had to tell me how to say the name of this uh, band. So you obviously knew who they were. So what's your what's your story? Yeah, I I didn't buy this album till the late 90s, I don't think. So I think I seem to remember it got re-released in the late 90s with like a bonus CD with like demos and things. And that's the version I've still got in the CD, CD drawer downstairs. I've not obviously it's been re-released many times over the years. And I think Matt was showing us the other day. He's got like the super duper box set version, like the four, like 35th anniversary or whatever it is. Um but yeah, and I remember, obviously, at the time, vaguely remember Kaylee being out because that was a monster 
hit in the UK and still still to this day is played a lot on the radio. They must have made a lot of money out of that song in the UK in royalties. Um, but probably my first like big memory of those was like a couple of albums after this and they had a hit in the UK with Incommunicado, which was a, a big hit. On, and I've got very strong memories of them playing that on Top of the Pops on um, BBC One. So that's probably my earliest memory of the band. And then probably, you know, when I was early teens, this isn't the kind of music I would have listened to. It was all about heavy metal and how heavy can you go. So late 90s, when I sort of crossed into my 20s, then I would have picked this up. Um, and I've had it ever since. Yeah, it's a good album. Um, I've never seen them live. I have seen Fish, the singer, who, well, he left like two or three albums after this and never went back. But um, I have seen him live as a solo artist. Um, he was pretty good, although it was mostly his solo stuff he did. He only did a couple of old Marillion tracks in his set. Um, and I've seen the bass player from Marillion in another band he's in called Transatlantic, which are like a prog super group with uh, various sort of, uh, you know, big players in the world of prog. Um, so that was pretty cool. They're one of my favourite bands. But um, yeah, Marillion, they're not a band that I've massively delved into their catalogue as such, but uh, I do appreciate them. And I like their kind of sort of Britishness, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, yeah, good band. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the album in a bit, but uh, we'll see what I uh, thought then. <laughs> nice. Awesome. So Dave, um, here we are with a couple of prog heads. Um, yeah, no. We're not prog heads. So what is your, uh, but you had heard Kaylee for sure. Yeah, so so mine's a bit scatty. I've got a few things to call back to. So I guess the first thing, you couldn't avoid Kaylee when it came out. I think it was 85. So I'd have been about nine at the time. And that was before I would say I had a, a, any kind of musical awakening. Uh, music was just all around me. And and this one was, was huge. And I, I definitely liked it at the time. But I guess I always associated it with being a pop group. You know, so you hear things on the radio and you don't really put it into a particular box. You just listen to it and you either like it or you don't like it. It's like a binary sort of choice. So I guess there's that. These guys are from Aylesbury, which is Buckinghamshire, which is actually not too far from where I am here. So just about half an hour down the road. Um, so I hadn't realized that until we we uh, came up to this. But um the, the other thing that this al going through this album, I think has given me more insight into. So I played a, a, a biker festival years ago. It was it was like uh, probably mid-ish 2000s or something like that. And there's so many people there, like, you know, got Motorhead and uh, Black Sabbath T-shirts on and everything. I always see like loads of Marillion shirts as well and I'm I'm thinking in my head I'm making the connection to Kaylee and I'm thinking this pop song I'm like what the fuck I, and I could not join the two things up these hairy ass bikers with this Marillion top you know like I say lots of them as well I, I could never join those two things up but I think going through this understanding a little bit more about the prog kind of roots it makes more sense to me now. So that, that was, uh, that's been part of my awakening, if you like, or journey this month. Nice. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think, I think that's, it is always fascinating because I know as, as Matthew mentioned, um, you know, Genesis and there's, there's two types of people who there's two types of Genesis fans, right? There's the Peter Gabriel and the proggy and the, or even the early after he left with when Phil took over is singing that Genesis. And then there's the pop, 
Genesis and then the Phil Collins solo stuff that people, which is nothing like Genesis. And so, um, and even when Peter's Peter solo stuff isn't quite like that original Genesis stuff. So it is interesting to think about the, um, and I always liked Peter Gabriel solo stuff like a lot. Um, so it is just really interesting to see how bands go and evolve. Um, and they weren't necessarily, you know, and maybe it's because there was no internet. There was nobody like calling Marilly and a bunch of sellouts when Kaylee became a hit, you know, like there would be now if all of a sudden some prog band, you know, broke big, people would be like, boo, sellouts. And you're like, it's yeah. darn, we made millions of dollars <laughs> and brought made joy and made joy. Sorry. How dare we? Um, yeah, that's just really fascinating. So um, that's yeah. So I would be before we get into the track by track, I want to explain a few things about this album. Um, it is a concept album. And so it is two, essentially two pieces of music per each side. So the first side when this was done, as, as Matthew said, it was done on wax. So like you've got five songs that are kind of one piece of music. So those of you who are listening to it um, digitally, if your digital player breaks between songs, or you listen to it on YouTube music where there's um, breaks between songs, you're missing out a little bit. So it was, you know, I listened to it through... Um, Hoopla Digital, and they just played it together the way that it was supposed to be. That was nice without having the break between songs. Um, so, so I'm sure that actually, uh, um, and Max, on your CD, did it blend? Did they fade it together like they did on the yeah. album? Yeah, it stitches together. Yeah, there's not, it's like yeah. a seamless. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So it was designed that way. It was designed kind of as, a, as an orchestra. And there's three songs that have parts. So when we get to those songs, um, we'll leave it to our, our, um, our, chooser Matthew Lloyd to explain the different parts of the song to us because I digitally I didn't know when one began and the other one you know ended and some of them don't have words and so I'm like I'm not sure this feels like a lost weekend I'm not sure so we'll get <laughs> we'll, we'll get to all of that so um for those uninitiated I feel like it would be important for us to just spend two or three minutes and let Max and Matthew explain to us non-prog heads what that means i realize i've been saying that word this whole time and people may not even know they're like prog rock like progressive they're they're left wing and they like like women's rights maybe but that's not what it means <laughs> Mr. Lloyd, some, of, some of them are some, some of, of them, them are. definitely that, are <laughs> some of them i mean i quite honestly if you listen to the lyrics from the most recent marillion album it is all about uh conservation of the earth and and that kind of thing he even mentions greta thernberg so nice that's very it's it's very it's very much like that to an extent but musically it's it's about uh originally it was about no boundaries like it was you know it doesn't we're not trying to write a three-minute single we're not trying to place write something that is on going to be on the radio a good example here is the fact that it's a whole album and it's considered like for them one piece of music you know it's just like dark side of the moon tracks all the way through except when you flip it you know it's the same thing jethro toll's thick of the brick thick as a brick is the same way you know that album actually on the first cd release of thick as a brick there's only two tracks from where the vinyl splits but it's uh Prague usually generally has uh, uh, esoteric lyrics or very thoughtful and deep lyrics. Uh, sometimes it can be about, uh, uh, you know, science fiction and fantasy themes. Um, those kind of things that you see in something like 2112 from Rush or, you know, fighting with swords and that kind of thing. Uh, also, uh, there's generally a focus on musicality and being able to play your instrument really well. It's not simply... Uh, you know, three chords in a cloud of dust. There might be 17 chords in a song. It might be, you know, 
seven minutes, eight minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, transatlantic, 76 minutes. Keep going, and, uh, keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what was it, 100? Was it 100? Uh, the last one, Max? <laughs> the last yeah, 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 like yeah. It's like a hundred across two CDs. Yeah, yeah. It's one. It's supposed. It's one piece of music. It's not technically fair to say a song, but it's in that sense. It's very much like classical music in the sense that you have a piece that is in three movements or a piece that is in five movements. And you know, the transatlantic. It's like one big, I don't know, concerto or a symphony in, you know, fifteen movements and. There'll be sometimes there'll be musical or lyrical themes that uh, come back throughout that tie everything together, um, but not always. This only happens once on this album. I'm curious if anybody else noticed it they, when they were listening. We can play that trivia at the end. Um, but it, it it's uh it's just not your average song for the stuff for the radio, and I think that's the best way to describe it. It's also known as art rock at one point and i've come to think that progressive is almost a mindset and the genre should actually be called art rock because you can be progressive in the way you go through and you always change album to album you're progressing to somewhere you're not just doing the same thing but it doesn't necessarily have to always be in a art rock stuff with you know 15 minute songs and multi-part epics and you know a bunch of noodling some people don't like noodling I, I often like noodling and great solos, but there's some solos that I don't have to, that it's too much. It is too much. But so there's a classical element to it. Uh, you, you know what, when Genesis did Supper's Ready, somebody said, you can't do that. that. That part's a hymn and that part's a folk song. And that's, and they were like, why can't we, why can't we put all these different things into one song? Because the idea was there are no band. You can do whatever you want and make it work. And that's, that's, that's Prague and Max. That's what awesome. you have to add to Max, that? Max, yeah. <laughs> I, I, God, what can I add to that? Max just summed, <laughs> up the, summed up the genre eloquently in about four minutes there. I mean, yeah, that to me, that's what it is. It's about, you know, musical expression and going on flights of fantasy and, and you know, and it can be, it can be the most intricate, you know, get your calculator out just to work out what fucking time signature the playing in kind of music like some a band like dream theater would do where it's all about how many notes you can fit in and all the rest of it and then by the same part you know a band like pink floyd or a prog band but their music's very sparse and it's all about the space between the notes and what have you you know a, a guitar player like dave gilmore is amazing his stuff, you know, compared to somebody like, say, I don't know, John Petrucci from Dream Theater, it's night and day and just how they play, but both are equally brilliant at what they do. So, you know, it, it does, it, the term, I think, encompasses a really wide range of music. I think there's a couple, like, with that, what you were talking about, there's a sort of a two different sides to Prague, the more technical side, like Dream Theater or Rush, where there's lots of notes and really difficult things to play and lots of, you know, odd time signatures and changing time signatures. And then there's the atmospheric prog, where it's more yeah. like Pink Floyd. There's a Dutch band that I love called The Gathering, which does that kind of thing. And then, you know, Genesis kind of has elements of both. Um, and Marillion have, are more on the, to me, the, the, the atmospheric side but they'll have mm. moments of technical brilliance um and some time signature stuff there's some time signature stuff in this album um but not like a rush album where you, an old rush album where you're you're got your calculator out trying to figure out now where's that break oh wait 
I can't count this song at all. What's going on? You know, that kind of thing. So nice. That's awesome. I'm all right. Sure there's, there's yeah. probably, sorry, I was just going to chip in there and say yeah. the way I'd always seen it, if you look back and you see those trends, you kind of gone from that rock and roll time in, in the kind of fifties, then you get to like the Beatles and, and other bands who are experimenting with different things. But then you came out with like uh, Zeppelin and Black Sabbath who created this completely different sound, this, this thing called rock. And, uh, you know, for me, it was something, pro I don't know who coined the phrase the first time, like progressive, but for me, it was, it was a progression from that kind of rock sound, but then it sticks, doesn't it? It's like post-punk. Well, what is post-punk? Well, it's, it's surely everything after punk, but no, it becomes this specific thing. And then the label kind of sticks. So it, it definitely does have a, you know, a, a, a distinct set of boundaries i think and and all the things the guys have, have put much better than i could but um i was going to ask i mean who would you say were the main kind of godfathers for uh prog rock well i think like... the go ahead go ahead Max. no i was going to say the the ones that people turn to is like the consoles are like yes genesis king crimson like the forefathers of the genre aren't they really yeah, and I, I I like to look back sometimes and find sort of proto-prog in stuff like Sergeant Peppers is definitely proto-prog. Mm. Yeah. Um uh Pro Call Harem outside of their hit singles. If you look at the album Shine On Brightly, they've got that song that Transatlantic covered in Hell Twas and I. Um there's uh Wailing Stories and other stuff like that 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 they did that is very much uh prog, uh, early moody blues, a whole Days of Future Past album is a is a concept mm. album. Uh, in search of the Lost Chord, same thing. There's other there's other early proto prog that isn't quite there yet. Although I would have to I'd be a hard time to argue. Uh, in Hell Twas an Eye by Procol Harum not being fully formed prog. It's like almost the entire side of that record, and it's uh, it's just a, a tour de force musically. I mean, Transatlantic covered it. And when you listen to the original version, Transatlantic did a pretty darn faithful version of it to where it sounds almost exactly the same. So mm. it's it's a really it's a really strong prog uh, prog piece. So if anybody wants to check out early prog, it held was an eye by Procol Harum. Mm. Nice. Yeah, Look at that. Stuff. We just went to school, Dave. We know we we can <laughs> we can awesome. now pass. It was awesome. I love that. See, this is why <laughs> this is why we do this show. I mean, seriously. That's awesome. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned uh, Sergeant Pepper because of course, um, you know, that, that inspired, uh, um, or the Pet Sounds album, everybody, yeah, yeah. you know, like what Brian Wilson did was like the music that just per burst from his brain and the rest. And, you know, and they, they put a couple of, you know, Sloop John B's on that album. Cause they're like, we need a song. But yeah. like, for the most part, Pet Sounds is just like the sounds inside Brian's head. So, you know, it, I get what you're saying, that idea of let's just try something different. So that's yeah, awesome. And, and even, even like I was, say like the beach boys song uh good vibrations which is structure st structurally is very weird even oh. and wouldn't it be not even wouldn't it be nice which is on the first song on pet sounds is weird structurally mm. and uh, to me good vibrations is one of those proto prog songs now that's after sergeant peppers because right what was it revolver and then the beach boys did pet sounds or and then after that 
that Beatles in response did Sergeant Peppers. And this is all acknowledged between the two groups. Oh, yeah, that yeah, they were yeah. responding to each other. So they're definitely pushing each other to do something different and, and move the needle. Uh, so without the Beach Boys there, you don't probably get Sergeant Peppers. They're not pushed. They don't hear pet sounds to be pushed to do Sergeant Peppers. Um, so that, that's very important stuff in the, in the early days in the formation. And that's where I think the prog thing comes out of, along with some of the psychedelic stuff. Uh, Lots of drugs, uh, you know? Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> it's, but, it, but, it, but at some point you can't be on them in play facts there's a there, there, there's a alex license from rush says one time he tried to play stoned and they were like what are you doing what are you he, he couldn't play it was terrible and he said never again so he'd never tried to play you know intoxicated or or on anything ever again so it was like that was it you can't do it because there's too much going on i mean especially with them with foot pedals but you know what his mistake was you know if you want to play stoned or you want to play drunk you have to practice that way as well. <laughs> and, and I'm not even joking. Genuinely, you have to. So if, if you practice drunk, you, you can play drunk. <laughs> There's a line in the movie Summer so, School. You know so why so me. many people get caught driving drunk? Because they don't practice driving drunk. They don't learn to drive drunk. Yeah. All right. Well, that is awesome. So listen, people, that was epic. And we are still going to talk about the album. But if the show stopped right there, we all learned something amazing. That was great. All right. So what, one final thing. The second yeah. side of Abbey Road is a critical moment towards yeah. Prague as it all runs together in its little song sections. And then this, that's how you get things like we get in uh, on this album with the songs that are broken up into four or five little parts. It's coming from that. And there's a transatlantic cover of that as well. That's absolutely amazing. So, uh, Abbey I, Road. I was thinking the nice. White Album as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Just Revolution Nine, which isn't, yep. it, you know, Number like nine. people shit on that thing, Number but there's nine. a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. And actually, this was remixed. The remaster was actually done at Abbey Road in 1988. 1998. So there you go. So it all it all comes back around. So, um, uh, Marillion, the the band on this is Fish, um, who does the vocals. Steve Rothbard is the guitarist. Mark Kelly on keys. Peter, tr- tr- say that. Truavis on bass and Ian Mosley on drums and other percussions. And there's a bunch of technical personnel, as you'll be not be shocked to learn uh, once you start hearing this. It's only 41 minutes, but it feels all of the 41 minutes in some place. And then some places you're like, oh, shit, the album's over. It's such a weird time. Different times through the 41 minutes felt different, like timey-wimey. I'm like, what the Okay, so that was really weird. But anyway, it was recorded in Germany um, back when Germany still had West and East Germany. So this was in West Berlin in West Germany, um, March through May 1985 at uh, Hansa, Hansa Tan Studios. It was released on June 17th, 1985. They had three singles. The big one, as they've already discussed, Kaylee, which actually preceded the album and became their biggest hit. And then Lavender uh, came out in August of that year. And then uh, Heart of... Lothian came out in November of that year, and there were the only three singles off this album. Um, and then, as they mentioned, Fish left a couple of years after this. But uh, the stuff I read about this is this was a fluke. Like, they weren't even sure. It was like the right place at the right time. The right person plays the song. It was that kind of thing that it even broke. So, um, all right. So we will get into it like we do. We're going to go through it track by track, as we do. Um, and so the first song clocks in at just a mere two minutes and 15 seconds and it is called pseudo silk kimono 
As you can't see us as we're waving our arms. <laughs> I want to wait to get to Fish's voice before we start talking too much. Okay, so I'm going to start because I'm going to say the least about this album because this is my first. When it first started, I was like, I could not imagine having this on record the first time because I would have thought it was playing at the wrong speed. <laughs> the way his voice is in comparison to the song, you know, like people who don't know on records, there were different speeds, right? So if you had it on the wrong speed, it would be too fast or too slow. And I honestly think if I had had this on wax, listening to it in 1985, I'd be like, I have the speed wrong as soon as that voice comes out. So, um, so Matt, you heard this and you were like more of this. So, so what about what, tell us about pseudo silk kimono. What is it? You know, how do you feel about that one? It comes in at a whole 214. Well, I think one of the things I'm going to say a lot during this uh, about this record is that to me, it's all one thing. I, I, I rare, I'm never going to go, I just want to hear Pseudosilk Kimono. No, I want to hear the album. Uh, yes, you can break out a song here or there from this, but so much of it is designed to be you know, the whole thing. We talk about uh, Abbey Road. I never go, oh, I just want to hear Golden Slumbers. To me, it's the whole thing is one piece that I want to hear the whole thing together. And that's the experience. Um, it'd be like saying, to me, it'd be like saying, I only want to watch the middle 10 minutes of that TV show. You don't want to watch the whole show. Or I don't watch that part of that movie, only that one section there where, you know, Batman blows up the thing. I don't want to watch that section. No, you want to watch the whole thing to get the whole experience. And to me, these kind of prog albums, whether they're uh, concept albums or not, it, they uh to me they're like that i'm a very much an album guy so to me it's uh, this song to me is setting the stage introducing the story um uh it's very atmospheric like we talked about as far as the atmospheric prog goes it's it's it it's setting a mood and a tone for um the the uh the journey he's going to take you through in this story about his own self-discovery so I mean, I like it. I enjoy it. Whatever you go, let's let's listen to Suda Silk Kimono. Rock on. No, but <laughs> I like but, the rock on, wasn't yeah. it? So Max, but, did you feel? <laughs> I, I want to jump from that. That was too awesome. Everybody laughed. And so I feel like we have to, Max, did you rock on? Is that it? Do you want to rock out? Do you agree with, with his analysis? How do you feel? That was awesome. I, I, <laughs> yeah it's like um it's like a musical like prelude for the story he's about to tell isn't it it's like the opening is like going back through like the mists of time or something like that the the, the keyboard effect uh like the i quite like as well the atmospheric keyboard on it. it's really good actually i mean you know it's like pull up and hear my story kind of thing while i tell you my life kind of thing um so is it like a two minute opener to the album i think it works well well i mean i haven't i haven't got a damn clue what he's on about like what the fuck is a pseudo silk kimono you know i have i mean i know what a silk kimono is obviously and i know what pseudo means but what's a pseudo silk kimono i just don't it's, i don't quite understand it's a it's a it's an emotional covering it's he's trying to cover his emotions and yeah, to be comfortable absolutely. and he's because he's about to get in touch with his deepest self so he's 
he's hiding that inside. He's trying to feel comfortable and and safe because all these uh, thoughts and memories and emotions are are traumatizing, and he doesn't want to have to go through. So he's he's he says what is a huddle in the safety of pseudo silk kimono, wearing bracelets of smoke. He's smoking, you know, naked yeah. of understanding, nicotine smears, long long dry tears, invisible tears. You know, he's 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 going through all this again. And so he has to put something on him to make him feel comfortable and safe. And that's what it is. And, and what people can't see is while we were talking, Dave went and got his actual silk kimono on. So Dave, as he, no, no, <laughs> not true. What, what say you, Dave, not quite the same opener as like, I don't know. Uh, welcome for welcome to the jungle. Oh, it's, it's definitely not welcome to the jungle, is it? So it doesn't it doesn't fit to that kind of template. So we've talked about albums that we've covered and how you know they blast you in the face and they're like, "Here we go, this is what you're in for." But I think in a different way, this does the same thing, doesn't it? It sets you up for what the album's going to be. And I have to say, the the first two are the highlight for me. I, I absolutely have grown over this last month to to really love this opening. Now, I feel like I haven't got a fucking clue what he's talking about and what the lyrics actually are, but it conjures up feelings and, and mental images for me of the, these kind of medieval dances around Stonehenge or something. You've got Morris dancers all dancing and it all fucking... If you've seen Midsummer. You know, yeah, that kind of it, it just gives me that kind of feeling. Um, so, yeah, I, I, at first, you know, it, it just seemed to me like, OK, it's a, it's a prog song, not really that into it. And you just have to get through it. But now I've really grown to like it. But I think what I've inadvertently done is I probably listened to the first half over the last month much more than the, the second half. And I don't know if that influences me, but um, no, I think it's great. And I, I think I messaged in the in the Discord, but I cannot listen to it and not think about Spinal Tap with the uh, kind of Stonehenge, the little Stonehenge <laughs> model. I don't know why. It sounds nothing like Spinal Tap, obviously. But again, just that very elaborate and trying to build up the atmosphere and being all theatrical, you know, and taking it all very seriously. So yeah, no, I, yeah. I really like this one. And I do think, well, and we'll, we'll go to you next then for the next song. Cause you said, these are your favorite too. So, um, but I, I do, I mean, I get what you're saying. Like it is, it is a, you are setting a stage and I do kind of like that idea of this. There's a narrator to this album and he's talking right to you. Um, and I think that's an interesting concept is to write in first person and have it be the same voice. A lot of times, like uh, one of my favorite singer songwriters uh, is Ben Folds and he writes in first person all the time. Um, but he's always like, it's not just bet, like it's not him, you know, it's like there's characters he writes about and sometimes it's about mm -hmm. him and sometimes it's not. And so this makes it feel like this is fish. This is his thing. He's written all these songs. He sat on a 10 hour acid trip or something so we are living his we're living his nightmare so um up next their big hit uh kaylee um that he admits is about um an ex-girlfriend whose name was kaylee and yet somehow writing a song called kaylee was him hiding it that it was about her um four minutes and four seconds so that guitar bass dave is that what you love about it that bass that strong bass at the beginning it's actually the guitar so oh, I came that. into this thinking, okay, so I know Kaylee, like I say, I had this perception that it was a pop song um, and it was just in that box for me. But 
going that transition to go from pseudo silk kimono into this i just love that first note that he plays and then you can hear the delay that kind of gave me like a dave gilmore kind of feeling you know just striking that first note letting it delay letting the delay pedal do the work for you like you say the bass just comes sliding in i i think it's really nice and then when it all comes together on the beat i i honestly felt coming into this i would be so sick of this song because I, I've known it now for, you know, getting almost 40 years now. But no, I just re-fell in love with it all over again. I just think it's almost that perfect. I am going to say a pop song because I think it's more of a pop song than it is like a, what I would class as prog rock. But no, just fantastic. And I think going through it this last month, I, I've appreciated the musicianship of the song. Like I say, I think, I think it's almost perfect as a pop song, but... um no, just really, really well put together and, and gave me an appreciation for the, the guitarist in particular. Yeah, no, I think he, he definitely, you, Matt talked about noodling early. And I know Max loves a good guitar solo. Max, Kaylee, you knew this song, you knew the band. What do you think of, of Dave's analysis there? Yeah, oh, I agree with everything Dave said. I, I'd love the guitar solo in this. It's, it, it, you know, you don't always have to have a guitar solo where you're shredding and melting the audience's face with your notes. You can have one like this that's, that's it, and because it's slow and melodic, it's incredibly memorable. Like I always find myself humming along to the guitar solo, as well as, you know, singing along to the lyrics, just that middle section where the solo is just humming along to it. Cause it's, it's almost as memorable as the song itself. It's just beautifully played very tasteful guitar player, Steve Roldery, very sort of very, very, very good, but very economical with his notes as well. He's not, you know, just adding them in for the sake of it. He lets it breathe. And I really like that. Um, but it, yeah, like Dave said, it's a perfect pop song. I mean, this this is a monster, monster. I don't know. I, I gather it's only a minor hit in the in the America, but in the UK, it was a huge, huge hit. It made them pop stars for a while. And I think between this and and the, we'll get to the next song in a in a moment, Lavender. But I think there must have been so many people who bought this album off the strength of those two hit singles or two pop ballads who weren't, you know, rock fans or dead and God forbid prog rock fans who bought the album based on those two lovely hit ballads and then put it on and thought, what the hell have I bought? Jesus Christ. You know, do it must I have, have been this like on the wrong speed? See? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it must be like extreme fans who bought pornography based on more than words and thought they were getting an album of lovely acoustic ballads and they got pornography which we covered on an earlier episode. We of the did. Show, of course. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's not indicative of the album, this song, by any stretch of the imagination, but as a as a beautifully written, beautifully memorable, fantastic piece of pop music, it's second to none. It stands the test of time. It's a great, great song. Nice. And Matt, so obviously we know how you feel. So how, do, so, because like you said, it's all one piece. So I will be interested to know, like, because there were the three singles, these first two, and then the uh, Heart of Lothian was released as a single. So what do you make of, Kay like, was Kaylee the first thing you heard then because you did hear it? Did you hear it as a standalone? No, I, I somebody, he played, my friend played me the album. So I probably, just the whole thing. More, gotcha. Okay. More likely than not, I picked up, he played, let me play this album and he started at the beginning. Or we, we were, I got in the car and he hit play and wherever it was is where it was. I'm, I don't know. Um, but as far as what has already been said, I would agree that this is, uh, along the lines of the uh, the pop side of 
leapfrog because I think, you know, we talked about, you don't have to be a, a single, but there are pro prog bands that have had hit singles i mean think about emerson lake and palmer they are hardcore prog but they have lucky man still you turn me on from the beginning and they are more like this style than you know you know their version of a bartok piece you know um and that's a fair that's a fair thing to say is it's a pop song it is a poppy song it is a pop prog song but it's a pop song from prog band it's part of a concept album so it has it has a greater context than simply you know here's a song that's a pop song we tried to write as a single um what i was reading the other day was that they the record company wanted the actual song that was the b-side to this that's not on the album as the single and they were like no no we don't want to do that we just want to they didn't think of this was it uh, uh, the record company didn't think this was a song was a hit, but it's hindsight. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that. How, how could you not not think that was a hit? But uh, but as far as the the guitar playing goes, um, I love the, the the arpeggiation in this. It's a really fun thing to play when you play it right. And uh, uh, Steve Rothery is very much influenced by both David Gilmore and uh, Steve Hackett, both their playing styles and. Uh, Rothery, when he wants to, can play fast and shred, but he's always interested in playing what's right for the song. So I think maybe not uh, on this album as much, but like I think, uh, I think I'm thinking of the the guitar solo in White Russian from Clutching at Straws, and he really goes to town on that. And it's like, oh, he he's really got some chops. Damn, you know. So that's awesome. All right. So yeah, I mean, I think his voice is so big um is its own instrument in this and i was just really impressed because again coming off that first one where he's like i'm all up here oh, oh, oh. And then he's like oh wait i can do that and it's no prince i'm not gonna say he's got prince's range but at least i wasn't sure what i was getting and then when this song kicks in i'm like oh he can he can at least get down to be a tenor from this falsetto that he's doing the whole time it's interesting i mean he's he's an interesting cat from what i've been reading about him this month so um i'm assuming there's probably plenty of biographies about that dude that are insane um so up next is a short little it was a single it was released as the next single and i almost wonder if because it follows up so beautifully if they're probably like if you were two for tuesday and it was really and these would be the two you would do listen to that piano max lavender this is my I, this is maybe my it's tied this may be my favorite song i just yeah. really love that piano i just like that kind of hauntingness what do you think max Oh, it's really nice. It's a really nice piece. What's quite interesting about it as well is when he releases, because this is a really short piece of music, like just over two minutes, but for the single version, they actually extended it to over th like three and a half minutes. Usually when songs are released as singles off albums, they edit them down to make them more single friendly. But this is like the, op the flip side of that. They had to beef it up, make it longer. So it was more of a more of a, a thing if you watch the video on youtube that's that version it's it's a minute longer there's not really any extra lyrics they just extend some of like the musical passages and might sing the chorus an extra time or something like that um but yeah i think this version though there's there's no fat on the bone it's a really nice short piece i like the lyrics as well you know they're about heard the sprinklers whisper shimmer in the haze of summer lawns you know he's incredibly like poetic 
lyricist fish you know his stuff it's not like your typical rock lyrics it's, it's, it's very much like a storyteller isn't it it's, I think it's just a really nice piece um I, it could have been a bit longer I suppose but the version we get on the album I think is just about just about right I think it's a nice companion piece to Kaylee you know it's two sort of nice ballads before it takes you into where it takes you I think these are really nice kind of establishing pieces of music for the album yeah yeah, I couldn't agree more, Dave. And I know you said you kind of wore out the first half. So, what do you make of that? Is it you're with you're with Max there? Yeah, I, I really like this song. The only thing uh, this might be sacrilege to Matt's ears, but you know we talk about the the album being a journey. But when I listen to this one, especially you know again just playing it now, it feels to me like this could have been the last song. Mm. You know, and and maybe if they were a bit more. Maybe if they wrote this song in later albums when they played a few stadiums or something. But can you imagine this one just being at the end? If this was Guns N' Roses, right, this would be the end song. Everyone would have the lighters up. They'd be waving. The you know, anti-November rain, though, because yeah, it's over yeah. to 27. <laughs> what, does this yeah, song they'd end? have to repeat yeah. it like <laughs> <Right>. five times. <laughs> no, I, I think it's a beautiful song, absolutely. Yeah. And and like you say, the the piano. But the like I say, there's a swaying motion to it, and that's why why I think uh, this this could work as a your last song on the album as well to just see it out. Yeah, I love that idea. What do you think, Matt? Is that sacrilege? Are you kicking him off the call? Are you like, damn you, Horrix? Well, I mean, to mansion. I mean, Come to I've me. already. I mean, the agents are about to knock on your door to kidnap. Oh, <laughs> no, um, no. I mean. I'm, I mean, to me, I, I know the album so well, it's hard for me to see it in a different light, but it's nice to hear somebody's opinion that is not as so tied to it. I mean, so for the past 35 years, this album has been part of my musical DNA. So for somebody not to have had that and to hear it in a different way, it's it's always interesting. And I can see musically what, what he means, but like thematically in the lyrics you know we're just at the beginning of the story for me so you've got to get to the end of the story which is you know which is coming you know and i and i know that so that's that's kind of how i think of it yeah there's a there's another piece uh that marillion have more recently that has the same kind of swaying uh at the end that feels very much kind of like that and when i saw them the crowd just kept doing that and they had to stop while the crowd did their thing. And he was like, you got to come on. We get, we're just, <laughs> you guys. All right. <laughs> they were um, not all right. <laughs> yeah, no, we were, we were totally into the the thing. It was cool. Uh, no, but cool. I, I, I totally get what you're, what you're saying uh, with that. I totally get the, the feeling of the, the music being a, uh, uh, an ending in a, in a, a musical summation i guess uh emotionally through the music uh and what max was saying about the extended version i had a note about that too because there's an extra guitar solo bit to it which i think is really uh, well done and needs to be heard so if you're going to listen to that song just that song I, I i want to i would like to have that guitar solo bit in the regular version on the album because my head always hears it and I don't get it. And I forget that it's there sometimes. And, oh yeah. And when you do hear it, it's like, oh, it's so good. The very end bit with the extra bit of the guitar solo and the extended version, which is something about Marillion that I have always uh, liked and been drawn to was when I was first getting into them, tracking down all the singles for the B-sides and the 
single versions because they were different. Either a case like this, like there's a single edit for Kaylee that ends. It doesn't just fade into lavender. It just ends. Uh, and lavender has the extra bit on the end and hard and we get to that. That's even more different as for where they decide to start the song. So that's oh. something we'll talk about in a minute. That's nice. kind of interesting. Yeah. That's so, cool. Uh, but before, yeah, no, no, sorry, go ahead. But but for Lavender as a song, it's it's a beautiful song. And it, it really, with Kaylee and Lavender together, it sort of sets, we've had the introduction and this sort of sets the stage for what he's trying to get over. You know, what what's what's really happened to 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 set him down this path of self uh self-examination. Nice. And that's what's happening. And this next song is a is a, is a sweet S-U-I-T-E called Bittersweet, which is my favorite name on the album. Um, so there's five parts, Brief Encounter, Lost Weekend, Blue Angel, Misplaced, Rendezvous, and Windswept Thumb with the B. Um, seven minutes, 53 seconds. It's definitely back with what Matthew was saying off the top about it being a piece. And this is like, a, uh, again, to, to go back to Ben Folds, he does shit like this all the time. Um, where he'll like write a little sim- like he did put out he wrote a full symphony but sometimes he'll put an album out that's just like a suite of songs and so this is a bittersweet um and so matt explain it to us a little bit um and then we'll hear what the guys have to say well to me uh he has this... pages of notes people page he brought notes I did. Well, gonna... unleash the scroll he did <laughs> <laughs> Uh, to me, this song is is one of those pieces you get in concept albums that is the connective tissue that we have two clear songs, Kaylee and Lavender. So clear they were songs that they were singles and big hit singles, but then bittersweet, these different song segments that kind of run together like you would imagine, like on the back of Abbey Road, they they are there to take you and move the story along and they connect that with the next real song heart of lothian um and so as a song it's like something uh, you're never gonna go probably just like see the silk kimono i want to hear bittersweet yeah but but in the context of the album, you have to hear it and then you really get into the sounds because it's really lots of experimental sounding bits here it's not really just a little bit we heard opening the drums the toms playing and it's once again saying an atmosphere and then when he comes in and he sings he has that really deep voice and he's uh he's reciting it like a poem he's not even singing you know um a a spider uh was a spider in a cave you know like scottish poet he's talking about robert burns um so there's literary reference there to that but it's uh, and he's actually Scottish. He's not from Aylesbury. The band was from Aylesbury, but he's actually from Scotland, Edinburgh. But uh, I, I mean, it's one of those prog moments where I can't have the album without it. So I really love it and enjoy it and enjoy all the proggy things about it. Even if it's not a song, you're going to go. I want to hear that as a song. You know what I mean? Um, and it's it's important, you know. It's it's important. There's little bits and pieces uh, throughout that go through, you know, what he's remembering and going through, you know, a lost weekend, 
you know, he meets a prostitute in Blue Angel, you know, and then he apparently is seeing Kaylee again later in this place rendezvous where they're just passing strangers, that kind of thing. Or passing strangers to the other one, but there there was a season of Yeah. He's meeting other people that he that he's replacing in his mind with Kaylee. You know what I mean? He wants it to be Kaylee, but it's not. It's just other people and they're standing in for her and so it doesn't really work but he can tell kind of what he's doing now at this point nice dave did you get all that dave took notes and he says yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i mean honestly I, it's great to listen to matt and uh like the, the story <laughs> i would say you know i, I kind of listen to the lyrics second i'm always listening to the music first and and then sometimes if lyrics jump out at me I'll, I'll pay it pay more attention but here is where i i mean there was a little hint about it with pseudo silk komodo but here is where you absolutely know you're in a prog rock album isn't it and and you know how this could be improved lyrics vocals by william shatner oh. that would make it better <laughs> <laughs> oh my god he did love the spoken word stuff so I mean, it, it's... now now that that might get you removed from the call. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no. it oh. would be awesome. It would be. Um, he's done some amazing stuff. His major Tom is something special. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds is is one of my favorites. They did, but <laughs> well, anyway, um, that's on a future episode, folks. Um, yeah, it's just hypnotic almost the way it starts off, and and again it. It's just a bit bonkers, isn't it? You know, just the whole storytelling and everything. And, and there are certain bits that do jump out. Like like you say, when he starts off, you, you hear the very distinctive Scottish voice at the start talking about the spider wandering aimlessly. But it's when um, Fish is singing later about needing another can of lager, lager. <laughs> it's just so, <laughs> it, it just jumps out at you. So I, I don't know, it, it just... I think it's an experience. I couldn't, I don't know if there is a, a, a section break almost between these different sections, or I, I just listened to it as one kind of piece. And, and like I say, just uh, enjoyed it just as that prog rock kind of song. Max, what say you about the bittersweet? Are you bitter at this sweet or do you think it's sweet, sweet? Uh, no, I don't find it a bitter one at all. I think it's really good. I th you know, like the guys have said, it's the first real prog, in inverted commas, prog section of the album. And it do what it does as well, I think Matt alluded to it earlier, is that it revisits some of the music from Lavender. It, re it replays it, doesn't it, at some point, which is yeah, quite, Angel, quite a, yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's that's something quite off a common motif in prog albums where they'll revisit musical passages from an earlier part of the album later in the album, if it's like a, a conceptual piece, uh, it works quite well as well. It kind of pulls you back into the story, I suppose. Um, I mean, the start, the start of it's a bit kind of jazz odyssey, isn't it really? With the, with the drums and the, and the, and the, uh, the F keyboards, you do at the start, at least wonder where it's going. Um, but I do like it. It's like, um, I'm, I remember reading Bruce Dickinson, the lead singer of I made in his autobiography and Maiden are a band who, as time has gone on, have sort of embraced the prog side of their music more and more, certainly the last 20 years, at least since Bruce came back. Um, and he's, he, he sort of, his take on his lyrics is that he sees it as like theater of the mind where you're trying to create a story in people's minds just through your words. And to me, that's what this, 
this passage is well, the whole album is let's face it but this passage as well i, I think it's very much like that I, I, I like i said before i think his his lyrical storytelling is superb it really is um and then i think at the end about six minutes in it, i think the passage is called misplaced rendezvous i think that's my favorite part of it i think that's really atmospheric and i like the kind of flute sound through the keyboard i think that works really well um and fish sounds very much like peter gabriel in mm. quite a lot of pa- well i think you know they wear the genesis influence up very much on the sleeve don't they so i think especially Gabri- this time <laughs> yeah exactly so i think obviously gabriel's probably his idol back then you know and he, he very much does sound like him in a lot of his phrasing and a lot of his delivery but um yeah i think as a as a as a suite of songs it's it's compared to the other sections of the album which are similar to this i think this is by far the best of those types of passages on the album yeah nice i would say it reminded me of and um there's a one of my favorite bands that i guess people would say i mean they are like what to me what alternative is is because there's nobody like them is they might be giants they just do weird shit um and on (laughs) their apollo 18 album they have a song called fingertips it's 21 different songs that are anywhere between one minute and six seconds and it, and and, the, and it's designed that album was designed that you were supposed to play the album on random and so that every time it came different and a different part of fingertips would pop in but when i saw them recently they're still playing going strong um they did all the fingertips in a row as part of one of the encores like all the 21 little songs in a row like you hear them on the album because they know people don't do it that way especially in streaming you don't randomize so mm. it reminded me of that because you know and then they have a song called spider he is our hero so it reminded me a little bit of that album, their weird fucking nutsy album, Apollo 18. Um, that was, that, again, I would prefer, I prefer that over this. Um, but I understand hearing, I'm going to tell everybody right now, having Matt on the show, if Matt weren't on the show, I'm going to tell you right now, my rating would have been lower. Having him already <laughs> has been like, oh, I'm at school, Pro- professors in the house. It's awesome. Um, all right. So we're getting to the end of side one. Um, and we're right at the, probably the midway point of the show, to, of this part of the show. Um, Heart of Lothian, 408. It also has two parts, Wide Boy and Curtain Call. Oh, Matt's already going. He's playing. He's air drumming. Go for it, Matt. <laughs> Oh, you guys are missing it. All right, Max, what do you make of this? What do you do? What about Heart of Lothian? I like this song a lot. I really like that fast hi-hat at the start there. I think it's really, really cool, really tight playing. Uh, Again, sounds after the opening section, that hi-hat, just as it's fading out there, again, sounds completely like Genesis. It really does sound like something Genesis would have put out around this time or maybe five years earlier. Um, But I do like it. I like the anthemic sort of Heart of Lothian refrain which i guess is him sort of harking back to is where he like um matt said before you know he's from edinburgh in scotland which is where lothian or, or the district of lothian i don't know i know there's a football team in edinburgh called heart of Midlothian, <laughs> so i presume that's where it relates to um but it's a cool i like it a lot I, you know there's a lot going on because it's only four minutes there's a lot going on in there there's that opening and then there's the anthemic bit and then there's kind of a chilled out third section at the end so for a four minute song that was released as a single there's quite a lot happening in there and i guess with this being very much a record a release in the vinyl era you know just i guess just prior to cds 
becoming a thing a year or two later. Um, you know, this is very much the end of side one, end of act one. Whereas when you listen to it now, you can it can branch together. This is very much a case where it would end, and obviously you'd have to flip your vinyl over and play side two. So as a sort of curtain uh, dropper or whatever the word is for the end of curtain call. Yeah, that's what it's yeah, like. Yeah. yeah. For the end of uh, Act One, if you will, I think it works really well. I think it's, you know, there's it's very accessible stuff. The video is quite cool as well, actually. If anyone sees the video, it's fish like doing a bit of acting on the on the streets and the band playing in this sort of shitty little pub somewhere. It's <laughs> it's quite a, it's quite a cool video to watch if you get the chance. Um, but yeah, I do like Heart of a lot. Yeah. Yeah, Dave. So this is you said you love the first half. So is this is that part of why? Does he think it ends real strong too? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a good solid song, and, and there's some really interesting different guitar styles as well. So you know, where he's muted at the start, and he, he's kind of playing along with the the keyboard there, and then you know switches on the overdrive pedal, and you know it all kicks in a little bit. I think it was interesting. It's almost like five minutes, isn't it? But on about three minutes, you almost think, oh, it's, it's stopped. You know, that that's kind of where the song mentally finishes for me. And then it goes into this almost like bagpipes bit for about a minute. Um, and I think I, I like the guitar, but when he's playing high up the neck, he's doing like this and for me he repeats it just a little bit too much i'd like to have heard some kind of variety some like sort of different little uh phrasing or something just to to you know you're expecting a certain note and then the second time around he goes to a different note I, i just found that that little bit there a little bit repetitive but yeah, it's another kind of one you could see at a stadium, isn't it? You could you could see him at the front, like getting everyone to wave along, and um, and yeah, probably finishing off with the bagpipe solo. You know, leave the bagpipe solo. Everybody back wants a bagpipe. Piper is down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but very good, very good. I, and I think yeah, that that is kind of the the. The best five for me, so it's all downhill. Oh, it's all down here. Me. Well, that's interesting because I feel I feel a little different about the beginning of side two, so that'll be interesting. Matthew, though, end us out. Side one is over. It's your first time well, through. It's young well, Matthew Lloyd. He's hearing this for the first time. The curtain is calling. The piper is down. How do you feel? Well, all the bagpipe talk. I can't believe you've never heard their version of Loch Lomond. I did. I've never heard of them. I, yeah, before. of course, so, of course, yeah. you've heard. Never heard their version of a live yeah, yeah. And there's a they have a live song called Margaret, which is starts out as Loch Lomond. So, wow, you get some bagpipe sounds on the keyboard for that. Um, I think this is the first song on the album that you would say is fun. Like this hmm. actually makes you go yeah, and kind of makes you go get up, and it's it's less uh, atmospheric and more more about rocking even though it doesn't rock super hard but it does have some time signature changes in it which i absolutely love it starts out when it transitions from a uh, windswept thumb it's it's in seven eight and then when heart starts the part that max was mentioning uh is uh sounds like genesis is actually five four and then we get to the the end bit is in four four and those changes are things that always get my little prog heart going especially seven eight 
seven eight's my favorite time signature so anytime you can get seven eight in the song i'm probably gonna like it even you know almost i mean i can't think of a song in seven eight i know that i don't like so if anybody has one want to try let me know but yeah so that <laughs> that absolutely that's love awesome. that that's that's yeah challenge challenge accepted yeah that's i love love that and uh then the five four that's my second favorite time signature so i mean i'm probably the only person that has favorite time signatures but uh i believe you said go, your daughter does you've passed yeah, that on. yeah 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 i did i did and actually getty lee has answered that question before and he said seven four so we're close wow um yeah we're related we're musical cousins um so yeah it's, it's a fun song and it actually it in the story he actually hear him go back to his his childhood and growing up and reconnecting with his his hometown uh pride but not in a bad way just in a way of hey this is who i am this is where i come from and this is what it was like and what we did and it was fun and we had a good time and you know what because he questions what happened to all that you know um and i was talking about the single version how it's different in that uh the single version doesn't have curtain call in it oh. but instead it has windswept thumb from the bittersweet so oh, wow. when you drop the needle on the single the harder lothi and it starts out with that piano and then he comes in on the outskirts of nowhere on the ring road to somewhere and then that is the actual single version so it kind of so there's a question what's where does heart of lothian really start that's insane well that's it that's interesting though because i feel like as we flip over the record i'm gonna say that's a good transition as we flip over the record song six and seven to me are one song and i don't understand like you're playing with rules and now we know matthew that they were playing with what the rules were for that song yeah water hole is what you're hearing now Expresso Bago 213 and then Lords of Backstage 153. We'll still discuss them separately. But like to me, I like these two songs if it were one song. So it's interesting. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to Windswept Thumb and Wide Boy that way. But anyway, I like these two songs together. And I know Dave, you said you're coming onto the downside of the record. So we'll start we'll we'll, we'll go to Debbie da- we'll go to Davy Downer first. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I guess I yeah, I was kind of forgetting this was because normally if I've got it on my headphones and I'm going for a walk or something, I'm not paying that much attention to like, oh, this was the first side, mm, this was the sure. second side, because I'm yeah. just listening in my headphones. It is coming from my phone. So actually I, I guess I'd consider this more part of the, the first side. And I was saying about listening to the music more, but I am drawn to the drums on this one. It is so interesting what he's doing throughout the whole song, and the and the bass is going away with him as well. I just I'm hypnotized with that piece of it, and it, it doesn't really change too much. I mean, there's there's a I guess two sections almost to it, um, but no, I, I do find this one. I, I do enjoy this one as well. So we're not quite onto the downhill yeah. yet. No, but. I'm I'm with you. I know what you're about to say. We'll get there, and they'll all be Matt. will have to <laughs> throw darts at us. Max, what do you make of Waterhole, which is a terrible name, by the way? Ex- but Espresso Bongo. I love the little the little um, parenthetical name. What do you like? What do you think about this one? Two thirteen. Yeah, I do like it. Yeah, I like the um, I like the busyness of the rhythm at the start. I really like the play and the percussion. I think it's really 
quite something and a departure from the kind of drumming that you get throughout the rest of the album. It's busier, it's faster, I like that. And it's probably quite the the most aggressive piece of music on the album as well. The rest of the album's quite eloquent and not very harsh. It's either kind of, you've got your ballady stuff at the start, you've got the atmospheric stuff, you've got the anthemic sound of some parts of it as well. But this is quite quite narky, quite aggressive. And I, I like that. I think it just shows a bit of light and shade. Um, I, you know, without wishing to show my hand, I do agree with Dave. I do think the second half of the album whilst good isn't on a par with the first, but I do think it comes off with a really good start here. And I think as a, you know, as a opener to sort of get you ready for the second act, so to speak, you know, it's like going to like a live musical or something, isn't it? After the intermission, they start the second half hot with something good to get you going and back, back engaged and back ready for the second half. So yeah, I do, I do like it. Yeah. Can I just, uh, one thing I forgot to mention as well, I reckon, and I've, I've not watched any footage, I reckon this would be so much better live. You can just imagine, you know, all that extra emotion you get from a live performance. And I could imagine you could really kind of rile up the crowd a bit with this. Yeah, one. and it's almost like you would do an extended version of it. Like, because it's just yeah. too, it's so short, you really get everybody going and let just let them loose. Oh, if this is the yeah. end of Woodstock, I know we're in the wrong era, but yeah. you know, you're playing yeah. this for 20 minutes, and you know, yeah. the drummer might not thank you for it. To be fair, but, <laughs> you, yeah. yeah, it's funny. We just watched um, John Baptiste played a, a live show up in Montreal, and it was he live streamed it. And we watched, and he did that in the middle of one of his songs where he they just kept going because you know he's jazz and they riff and whatever. So we actually took drumsticks and came over and stood next to the drummer. So, and they just like in the middle of the song, everybody else kind of faded out and they played like this five minute and this like song one. And you're like, well, he's still got to play the whole show. And this is what you yeah. did. So yeah, I'm sure that's one of it too. So, all right, Matt got his notes out, everybody. We saw the notes ready for Waterhole Espresso Bunk. So tell us. I was just making sure I was on the right page. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I, 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 I mean, I, of course I like the song. Of course I, I think you like Max the whole, right. yeah, yeah, right. I do the, the, uh, the, it's it's aggressive. It's the most one of the most aggressive. I think maybe threshold at the end of blind curve might be more aggressive, but it's still in the same vein. Uh, uh, I really have always been drawn to the lyrics in this as well. I think some interesting turns of phrase, uh, uh, especially the uh, uh, funeral horses court the death of virginity. Was it paradise lost or paradise found? Do we gain respect or are we holding ground? Um, and turning down our noses at the best lines of the cheap wines and the wine boys where the love bites for their crimes. There's lots of stuff in there you can parse and figure out what he's talking about. But uh, they're very uh, vivid, vivid lyrics, very uh, clear images. And you can imagine them specifically, but you can also imagine what he's really getting at at a deeper level if you think about it for a little bit. So I've always liked those, like those particular lines in this song. But yeah, it's, 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 it's another, it, right off the back of Heart of Lothian, it's, it's also fun. It has that upbeat, like Max said, aggressive. And the drums that Dave was talking about is very, very fun and get up and yeah, you know, which is something we've really had. It's much more of a atmospheric album, which is, and it's which weird, is fine. And it's weird too, though, because it's like you said, I feel like the end of that, like you said, the if you cut out the bagpipes, but the wide boy part and then this and then the next yeah. song. So we'll just roll right into that because I kind of feel yeah. like they're grouped together. So, Dave, the next one is called Lords of the Backstage 154. Mm -hmm. 
And that goes ties into what you're saying. And this to me is the most Genesis-y as a word I'm going to use. Genesis-like of them. And I really, I, and I feel like they, they really lock together. So am I wrong on that, Matthew? Were they supposed to lock together? I mean, well, I, I, I think they fit really well together, but I think they're separate musical ideas. Um, but I, I, I think, I, I think musically and lyrically they're, they're, they're separate ideas and that's probably why they're separated. But I think, I think they were probably, you know, we have all these different ideas. And so they're all have, even though, even like See the Little Kimono is a short song. Waterhole is a short song, even though it's a song, you can almost put Waterhole and Lords of the Backstage, maybe a third song. I do know that Lords of the Backstage was moved from the oh. first side to the second side at one point early in the uh, uh, development of the album. So originally it was part of, uh, I forget, I think it came after Lavender and then it got really? moved. Yeah. So. Huh. What do you think I, of that, I, uh, Dave? Dave loves to, re when we did Hotel California, we spent a lot of time rearranging the album. What do you think of that? Like, <laughs> would, would, would you have liked that up there? Do you think it belongs or is this part of where you're starting to move, move down the needle? Uh, for Lords of the Backstage, yeah, this is probably one of my least favorite. Um, I actually think when it starts off, the drums catch your ear because it, it's like he's missing a beat yeah, and, and it, it sounds interesting. It's it's in seven eight. That's the thing about that. that right, is, right, okay. It, it yeah. grabs me. Your favorites. Yes, it, yeah. I mean, of course, this is one of my favorites because of it's in seven eight. <laughs> yeah, well, for and, me. And and you, you're missing. The, it's missing to be. It's supposed to sign because it's in seven eight. It is missing the last eighth note of the four four measure, but it's in yeah. seven. But and that's one of the things that draws me to it. But go ahead. You're you're saying no, no. I I do think it is interesting to the ear and and like for the first. 10 seconds it's like oh that, that's interesting but then it just it doesn't do enough for me because then it sort of feels like it's a jam and I, I remember like so many late nights practicing at the mill and you've got some kind of idea for a not even a song you've got a riff and you're like noodling about and then you do that for like 20 minutes and it's like right it sounds really good that should we do something else uh move it up two frets nailed it so i i just feel like it doesn't do enough for me and that that interesting kind of time signature although interesting at at the start it just doesn't really keep my attention for long enough and I'm left feeling, I, I, like, I don't know what the point of this song is. Now, it may fit into the narrative structure of that concept album. But, you know, going through song by song as as we do, I, I think I, I just genuinely don't see what the point of it is. That's totally it's fair. In, it's interesting you say that because thematically, for me, the what it fits in lyrically, the song is about how do you have a public life uh, when you have... When, when when you're not necessarily a public person um introvert versus extrovert how do you reconcile what's uh before you with morals that are formed in your childhood when you see real life uh, things aren't always what they seem there's a play we put on for everyone outside to hide what's inside and i think that's where the title comes from but i think that's what he's talking about too and it's almost like saying what's the point of it how do we do this so the fact that you said what's the point of it 
it may sound like a criticism of the song, but it, to me, it feels like you might be getting it on a subliminal level as Ooh, far as how it's supposed to work. He was eating your brain, Dave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I might need to lie down after that. <laughs> what do you say, Max, of Lords of the Max, Backseat? Max, some and green. <laughs> so it's <laughs> uh, I do like it, actually. You know, this, again, I think what comes after it perhaps isn't so great, but I think this is a cool little piece. Again, like you guys said, I really like the odd time signature all the way through. And I like the fact that the vocal line doesn't follow the music in this one, rather than, you know, him singing it like, you know, few episodes ago we covered sabbath and sabbath is very much ozzy singing along to the guitar riff the melody follows the guitar whereas this is com they're going into completely different directions so i do really like that it's uh, the beginning that did it, 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 it sounds a bit like a song called frame by frame by king crimson which oh was probably, yeah yeah uh, probably two or three years before this early 80s i think that was king crimson 81 um, yeah there you go um and it does have a little bit of a, that in sound there i don't know if they were influenced by that but yeah it's okay uh, i think the lyrics quite articulate i guess um and yeah it's, it's a nice little piece uh, like you said tony a nice little companion piece to waterhall i do think they fit together quite nicely and set you up for a very long piece that comes next <laughs> well and to that end let's get there into the blind curve so dave will you could pick any part you wanted dave we have to start at the beginning if we don't want to because this is nine minutes and 30 seconds it's got five parts um and i'm with and again we're gonna let mac go last on this because i i know the three of us have already said um honestly it starts to wear me down about midway through I mean, I, I honestly think it's intentional because I understand if, if it's part of the concept and we're going through this part of his life and he's ready to, for childhood to end, which is the next song. And he's, you know, going through this like adolescence as an adult kind of, um, that's how it feels. But boy, I was ready for it to be over just like my own puberty. I was ready for that to be over. Uh, Max, what about, what about you? <laughs> Um, that in that that's the start of it is completely comfortably known by Pink Floyd. Sure. That that start is is like almost kind of lifted wholesale from the, the Floyd. I suppose if you're going to take from someone, you may as well take from the best. So, so that's that's okay. I mean, it, the the guitar sound, the guitar solo, very Dave Gilmore esque as well in this piece as well. The whole the whole thing, I think this piece is very Floyd, but I dig it. Um, that kind of childhood bit as well, that refrain. So it kind of sounds a bit like what how Roger Waters would sing as well, as does the narration just prior to it as well. Kind of sounds Waters or Waters esque, if that's a, the correct terminology. Um, but yeah, it's okay. It does. It, I think at nine minutes thirty, I think they could have shown a bit, you know, a bit more self-editing and maybe taken a little bit off it, and it wouldn't have suffered greatly. Um, you know, not that I'm afraid of long songs, as you guys know, I, I, the longer the better, but I think you've got to fill it with enough to justify it. And I think perhaps a little bit less would have been more in this case. Um, the end section just sounds, I don't know, it kind of sounds a bit derivative of themselves, if that makes sense. It's just, a, it just sounds like they're kind of recycling something from that I've heard before from them or something like that. Well, that's what I've written here anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's okay. I just don't, I think it doesn't hit the heights of where we've been already in this album. I think it's okay in its own right, but it's not, it's not when you, when you're shooting for the top with what you've had at the start of the album, I don't think it cuts that mustard, but it's okay. That's all, that's the best I can say. That's uh, it's fair. Dave, Dave's going to probably say it's not okay. Dave. 
No, uh, to be fair, <laughs> if cut that first bit, vocal under a bloodlight. As Max said, he's, he's kind of stolen my thoughts there as well. That, that I was just thinking, Christ, that is it's almost the same beat. It's the same Dave Gilmore guitar sound. It, it genuinely, that is comfortably numb. If you were going to be a tribute band to Pink Floyd or something, and you, but you wanted <laughs> your own stuff, you'd come up with something like that. So I, I do like that section of the song. But then the different breaks going into the different pieces, it just... Yeah, I don't know. It just comes. It just seems self-indulgence. And again, this this is where it really loses me on the on the second side. And um, I I think it goes down a bit. I agree. So Matt is going to tell us all why he's never going to speak to us again after this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I get I get what you're saying. I think even for me, there's a there are moments where it doesn't always hit maybe in Milo, the Milo section and sometimes in perimeter walk, but sometimes in perimeter walk, I can get into it. Um, but interestingly, the last section threshold is one of my favorite parts of the album. Um, the way it just builds up out of that. Oh, please bring it back to me. And it kicks in. It's finally, it really is aggressive and loud and rocking and some of the images he conjures up in that lyrically are very uh, stay with me for a long time there. I've I always, you know, I saw a war widow in a laundrette washing her memories from her husband's clothes. She had metals thread pinned to a threadbare gray coat, a lump in her throat with cemetery eyes. I can't take any more cemetery eyes. Love that. Um, I seen convoys curb crawling West German Audubons trying to pick up a war. Even the score. But, uh, I seen children bleeding with outstretched hands, drenched in napalm. This is no Vietnam. It's interesting. Um, yeah, I thought about, you know, what all that what all that meant. And uh, you know, he goes into the 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 state of in the in the story in the song, he takes sleeping pills in the real life. He was on acid. But the point is he goes into a uh uh, introspection and, and self period of self-discovery uh, enhanced by uh, chemicals and he figures things out and when he comes out he sees the world and he sees the terrible things in the world but at the same time that very end he's got that triumphant sounding guitar solo that is uh, a sign that there are all these terrible things in the world, but it doesn't have to, uh, to form you. That does not, that's not necessarily who you are just because they are in the world and you're in the world with them and you have to react to them and you have to realize, figure out how to deal with them. But it doesn't mean that they have to ruin your life too. Yeah. Maybe that, that war widow, her life is married. Maybe those children are destined for rape in the alleyways. Maybe their lives are ruined, but that doesn't mean yours has to be also. You still have the opportunity to take something of your own life and find what you need. And for this, in this case, it's connecting back to his childhood and that innocence. Because the whole thing is about losing one's innocence and not just losing one's innocence and, and, and gaining the experience, but figuring out how to live with all the terrible things that experience brings. And, uh, and to me, the end of that is, is the moment where he figures it out. And he comes in with, you know, that 
aggression and he says, I can't take anymore because he's finally figured it out. He's like, he can't do that anymore. So he's got to, he's got to connect the dots and get back there. And then he asks himself in the next song, is it, is this childhood's end? Does it really mean childhood is over or, or is there still a way to have your childhood as an adult? And I would say that all of us being comic book fans and having read comic books, our lives, we understand what he's getting at is that whenever you pick up a comic book, you're not just picking up something that's about, you know, an art artistic experience or an entertainment experience. You're also connecting yourself to your childhood because you've been doing this since your childhood. I presume we've all read comics or come back to comics after going away at some point. Um, and it's easier for something like me to, to, to feel that and see that or, Max, you'd like to do uh, toys and stuff too. You know, I have, yeah. I've had my toy thing before and there are certain things that I can go in my closet and look at and, and it connects that in the same kind of way that I don't have to, that I can find that unbridled happiness and joy that it comes with childhood before experience in, in a figure or something and see that. And it connects the same way that I think this song, this story, this album is, is trying to what is trying to say in the same way, even though he's not going back and playing with Migos greatest world's greatest superheroes or GI Joes or reading comic <laughs> books. It's, it's, it's the same kind of thing. It's that same kind of connection that we need in order to go forward as adults and not be completely destroyed by the terrible things that happen in our world. Things we only learn about through experience as we, as we get older. And, and that's I, one of the reasons why I really love the ending section, but I, yeah, musically, I love that ending section too. But that's no, and yeah. I, 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 I think that I, no, no, I think that's good though. So, Dave, go ahead and and uh, DJ us up the next song because he's already started talking about it, and I think that's a nice. Um, I do think these two go together, and I didn't understand. I mean, if you're already gonna have a nine minute thirty, why not just have a, have these last four minutes as part of it? Because I actually feel like childhood's end should just be part of it. Um, what, and as as what? Matt was saying, it already was. So, so four thirty, go, Matt. One interesting thing about the end threshold on the CD, the original CD, it doesn't say that section is called threshold. It's called choose, the German word for colloquial goodbye. Mm, you know, yeah. Yeah. Instead of threshold. I always found that interesting. So that, but I think it bleeds into this song. And as Matt was saying there, Max had already, he already tied it together for us. What do you think of Childhood End? Do you think it fits? Do you think it's a hard left turn from that end of that last song? No, I think it just, it's that upbeat ending for the for the story, isn't it? You know, it ends it, it ends the story on a positive note. That opening guitar there we just heard, it sounds very much like um, what Mike Rutherford plays on The Living Years by Mike and the Mechanic. You know, mm. did, did, did. Yeah, it sounds very much like it. Um, although this is obviously two, a couple of years before that was written. Um, but no, I do like it. It's um, I like the drumming. It's really tight and simple. And, and I think this, like I said before, it's that upbeat ending and, throughout the album i think this is the most or musically speaking at least the most upbeat part of the album you know it's it's less you know negative and, and it seems just seem just the whole thing just seems to have a more upbeat nature about it so i do like it actually as a way to not quite end the album obviously there's a little bit after this but as as just a sort of way to sort of round the story and and look it's like looking more positive towards the future. Yeah, I do. Uh, I do like it. I like the little keyboard flourishes as well. Pretty good. Very Genesis-y. Um, so yeah, yeah. So a thumbs up from me for this one. Yeah, I actually thought it probably should have been 
the last song of the album, and I just think it hurts the album a little. This is my feel, so I'm going to jump to Dave to see if that, if you agree, like maybe this should have. Part of the problem with the second side is it doesn't it doesn't know where to end. And I don't know. And again, I'm not a music producer, and who the hell am I to say that people <laughs> sold millions of records? That's my feel. I, I'm I hear everything that Max saying, and I love the analysis that Matthew gave with it. But I kind of feel like this should have been the last song on the album, and maybe I'd have a different feeling about it. What about you, Dave? Um, I really don't want to do this, but I mean, I would take it and put it in the bin. <laughs> wow I, okay. I, I, honestly i i don't hate this start and, and absolutely mike and the mechanics was what i was thinking as well that that kind of picking uh muted guitar on the opening so i, I kind of like that it definitely makes you feel good doesn't it, it makes you feel uh upbeat there is just something about fishes uh, when he's doing that. There is no childhood, and I just want to gouge my ears out. I, I, there is something about that <laughs> totally note. I, I it really resonates with my brain in a poor way. I, I, I just don't like it, and I find it repeats far too many times. And so I just this was one that I will not be gutted about you know not having to listen to for the next month but yeah this <laughs> totally is fair. one that that leaves me with that feeling that i don't like the second half of the album whereas mm. actually when we were stepping through it i i liked more than i i remembered liking but yeah this one okay. definitely not That's my favorite totally fair all right matthew you um, kind of touched on the lyrics but what do you think yeah you i mean yeah. i i think I like it. I don't have a, yeah, of course. I don't it's know. Your if, I don't know. Your if favorite album. Yeah. I don't know if it's, if that's maybe the strongest thing on the album, probably not, but I think I, I, I like it. I think for what it is and the way it fits in. And I love the very ending when it suddenly changes to like a Genesis song and it goes, but with the transitions into white feather, you know, see, but to me, that's the end. Let's make the trans. Let's play White Feather, Dave, because we're going to talk about the the transition there. Because I think this is what I was getting at. Is I thought it should have just ended with that kind yeah. of up ending, and not that White White Feather, which is the last song on the album. Everybody, it's uh, coming in at two twenty four. I don't know. I just kind of thought I get what Dave is saying. I don't like Fish singing in general on the album, which we'll talk about in my final review. Um, I just think Childhood End should have been the last song, and I feel White Feather gets in its way. So, Matt, go ahead and, and explain to me while I'm wrong. Um, well, I mean, your opinion can't be wrong. <laughs> your opinion is your opinion. Yeah. Um, but I, for I, I, I totally get what you're saying because I feel like once we get to Childhood's End and White, and then before we get to White Feather, sort of like all the whole emotional journey is over he's gone through it he's come out to the side he's seen the he's seen the light and it's over right so why is white feather on the album why so there's got to be a reason for it right you know how when you write a research paper and you're supposed to explain everything and then at the very end you're supposed to say something how it applies on a broader level that's what white feather is White Feather is where he takes it from his personal experience to what does this mean for everyone in the world and how we should treat everybody else. And that's what the final the final bit is about. And I think it probably works more um, lyrically maybe than, than musically. It might be a case of, uh, hey, guys, I was stoned and I got all these lyrics. <laughs> 
they're all going on the record. So we need to write some music for it. You yeah, know, that because because that's the story that checks out. No, that Sorry. checks out. Um, and, and, you know, but like I said, you know, for someone that has, has lived with this album for 35 years or whatever, you know, it's hard not to. I mean, there's nothing I absolutely, there's, there's nothing I hate on this. Of course. Of course. I, I, I understand the criticisms and I've at different times, I've felt some of the same, uh, but then, you know, the very end of it, I think there's the anthemic chant of all the children, you know, but at this point, you know, when I first got the record, I was not a father. I was 18 years old, you know, and now as a father and seeing the world from a different perspective, I think it's, to me, it adds something and seeing it differently from, from in my older self. And I can see how that goes above and beyond the simple or not the simple, but the personal story to the, a broader perspective and why it would be important. Sure. Dave, you had, you had unmuted. You go and then we'll have Max have the final word on White Feather. Yeah. Again, I, I just, this is another one. So, so the last two strong songs are, are quite weak for me. I, I just, again, I'm, I'm wondering what the point is. I, I love listening to Matt, honestly, and, and the, the passion about the album. And again, without having that nostalgia, without having lived with this, I, um, I kind of feel like, you know, the, the music to it almost lends itself to, uh, to have some mid-80s rap or something like that. I mean, Fish's uh, his kind of phrasing and, and melody at the start is a little bit like that. So I'm not sure if that's why I think about it. I was just thinking, actually, I was just wondering if Fish is actually the Chris Claremont of music. <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. Oh. Yeah. So yeah, another one. I, I'm afraid I, I did set it up before. I said I, I I like the first half much more than the second. Having gone through it now, like the the second half a bit more than I thought. But it's specific parts of the album that I like, and that. But then this is in the part that I don't. Totally. No. Totally fair. What about you, Max? Take us home for White Feather, and then we've got about ten minutes to wrap it up, and we'll give our final grades. Max. Um, Maxwell. Yeah, it's okay. I quite like the marching beat in there. But the, the thing that pisses me off the most about it <laughs> is, it, is it, it ends with a fade out. And I really hate songs that don't end, that just fade out. And I think you've just had this 40-minute magnum opus, this musical odyssey, if you will. And it doesn't end. It, you know what I mean? It fades out. It, they don't give it a proper ending in whatever form that may be. And I just... It's just a personal choice. I mean, some you know, I'm sure you might disagree with me, but I just don't like songs that fade out. To me, that's just like a, it's like shit. We don't know how to end this song off. Just fucking fade it out, whatever you know. (laughs) That'll do. But I just, I don't know. To me, I just, it just sticks a bit. I would love it to have some kind of ending, whether it, you know, there's a big crescendo and it ends, or it it just stops on a dime, or it, you know, this whatever it may be, even if it's just feedback or whatever, or a sound effect, whatever it may be. I don't know, but I just don't like that ending, but I, I guess I'm nitpicking, but other than that, it's, it's it, the musically it's okay, but just the end. No, not for me. 
That's totally fair. Well, and so we have we have reached the end and we'll decide. Matt, Matthew will tell us soon enough whether he's ever going to speak to us again, although he and I are working <laughs> on a project, so he doesn't have any choice. Um, so we'll go around. We'll obviously have him give the last grade. And so I'll give I'll remind everybody what the rankings are. And then after Matt gives his grade, Maxwell Byrne will tell us what the next month's album will be. It's his pick. So I will go Dave, Max, then Matt. Um so I'm going to like, so the ratings are, if you think it's the greatest album in the history of ever, you send it to Paradise City. If you think it's very good, but it's flawed in some ways, it hangs out with Dr. Feelgood. If you think, uh, it's good. There's some really good things, but mm, some things rub me the wrong way. Not per- right in the middle. It's a crossroads. If you think, uh, there's a couple of good songs, but the rest of it kind of wears me down. It goes to Skid Row. And if you think it is the worst album in the history of the world, maybe sung by uh, William Shatner. We don't know. You send that to uh, Hotel California where it can check out anytime it likes, but it can never leave. So I am actually, I came in as a hard skid row, but I'm leaving skid row walking towards the crossroads based on Matthews. I don't really love Fish's voice at all. And I wasn't going to spend the whole hour and a half saying, I don't, and that's, that is just a choice. As you said, it's, we all have our own opinions and there's just something that He's not Prince. He doesn't have, the, he, but he tries to have the range of Prince and it's tough because I've been listening to a lot of Prince lately. So maybe that's part of, that's a me problem, but it's like, oof. Um, so, but I, but having Matthew here, I would have given it, a, if he had just said, pick this album and he wasn't here, it would have definitely been a skid row. So I'm going to go in that 2.5 range. Mr. Horrocks, where, what say you? I think I'm going to be a little bit of a copycat and and you guys have talked me up a little bit, quite honestly, because I was looking back at, at some of the scores and I did have, say, uh, Hotel California putting in as a skid row. We are dealing with the mandatory side of albums, so we're not dealing with a lot of the crap. So you, you're talking about the cream of the crop from the start. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm super glad I had the experience to go through and properly listen to it. Because things like Childhood's End, right, I'd, I'd have just skipped past that and I'd have <laughs> probably never heard it all the way through at all. But, um, you know, having to, or not having, but making sure that I listen to every song and give it its time, I, I think it, it is an experience as well. There are there are quite a few gems on here. And like I say, I, I would probably more often than not listen to those first two tracks and, and even if I narrow it down more than that, I just absolutely love the transition from pseudo silk kimono into Kaylee. I just, I, I, something about it. I just absolutely love, but yeah, it's a, it's a two and a half for me as well. Half in skid row, half in crossroads. Yeah. It's slipping. It's slipping. It's, it's slippery in skid row. Yeah. And so you got to land, you get one foot on the dirt, one foot on the oil. Max. <laughs> Um, oh God, I was torn between Dr. Feelgood and Crossroads. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go halfway, like a Dr. Crossroads, if you will. So three and a half out of five. I think I really like the sophistication of it. I, I, I can't give it more than I've given it just because I think some of the material on the second half of the album isn't up to par with the first half but that's purely just by comparison rather than it being on its own merit, I suppose. The lyrical content's pretty absorbing and kind of abstract at times, but I do like it. I think the musicianship is really top tier for what was really a relatively young band at the time as well. When you look at the ages of the of the band, with the exception of the drummer, I think was in his early 
like 31, 32. The rest of the band are like 25, 26, whatever. So to, you know, to be that musically sophisticated and musically accomplished at such a young age is pretty impressive, to be honest with you. Um, I like that. And I think the songs blending into one continuous piece does work well for the purpose of telling a story. So yeah, that, I like that aspect of it. Um, I think, you know, I, I found my best enjoyments for this album was when I sat and listened to it in isolation, not on in the background, not out for a walk, but just sat on my own headphones on and just being able to listen to it and appreciate the soundscapes um, and the production, which really holds up well. I don't think it, the sound of the, the album isn't particularly aged. I think it, it does sound pretty good, even for an album that's almost 40 years old. Um, so yeah, uh, th- almost four, but I'm, Oh God. Yeah. All right. I'll give it three and a half. Yeah. Totally fair. And I wonder what Matthew's going to give it out of uh, where, where it's going to end up with him. Hmm. Um, I wonder. Just, just we need a drum. Maybe. We need a drum uh, intro, I, but I, it I, needs I, to be yeah. seven. Hours. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, to begin with the, the trouble is that I think only five levels is really difficult for me just to begin with. I'm such a, you know, we analytical. Can, you can point I, I wanna, five it if I you wanna, need to. Yeah, I want to break it down. Well, no, I want. Here's the thing. I don't think everything at number five is equal. Mm, sure. Like, among, you know what I mean? Like this. I think to me, this is for, in my in my estimation, this is a five. Sure. It's a Paradise City, even though I don't want Paradise City to be the five because <laughs> like Guns and Roses. Um, so I want something else, like. You know, yeah. but anyways, within that five, there has to be a breakdown in my mind because there's so many different styles of albums. I can give you a bunch of albums that I would put at a five, but they aren't all equal, even if they're all for me top tier. You know what I mean? Sure. It's hard. to So it's a five, but within the five, I don't I don't know comparing to what else, you know what I mean? I gave you guys a list of records to check out, to decide between. I didn't want to just pick one because I could have said anything about Rush or Marillion or Genesis or uh, any of those things. But I wanted to give you guys a chance to pick between those because I felt that would be more, uh, more, uh, I don't know, can't say the word. Representative of your tastes. Representative or just, it would be more gratifying to have, it'd be a bit of a surprise for me what you chose as opposed to say, let's do this. And we're going to, you know what I mean? Sure. So it was, it was more uh, gratifying to do it that way. But like all those albums I gave are, are fives. Those are all things mm. that I think are fives, but within the five, I, I don't know how to say it, but I mean, this is, like I said, it's a, it's an album that's part of my musical DNA, you know, and if it's my third favorite band and it's their most popular album, it may not be, always my favorite album i mean there are times i might lean more towards clutching at straws than misplaced childhood you know but i think as a one-two punch coming out back to back those are incredibly strong you know back-to-back albums like permanent waves and moving pictures by rush the same thing bam what two how about that those two albums back to back holy cow you know and most people pick permanent way or moving pictures i'm more of a permanent waves and moving pictures guy when it comes to rush so it's it's hard to decide amongst that, but definitely for me, it's one of the one of those albums that has a you know a five in it. And there's a number of albums, different genres, you know, throughout the years or different bands that are at the very top for me. And that and this is this is one of them. Awesome. 
I think there's something wonderfully poetic about the big prog rock fan wanting to represent a five-point scale in three-dimensional space. I agree. <laughs> I can't. But you can't hold me uh, down to what five means. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, Dave, where does it land on the big scale? And then Max will tell us what he is got up, and then we will bid adieu. So interestingly, this puts it at number nine in our rankings. So just ahead of Hotel California by the Eagles and just behind Physical Graffiti. Wow. All right. So it's in pretty good company. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see. And of course, nothing will ever, ever go low. I can't even imagine the Shatner album would be lower than that. Foo Fighters album that broke the wheel. So, um, um, all right. So, up uh, in a month's time, we're back to because screw that wheel. It's Max Burns' pick. He asked us this morning, "What's the next album?" We're like, um, "You pick." So he, we, it's a hot take. He had to decide quickly. Max Burn, enlighten us. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I had uh, literally today realized, like you guys said, I had to pick one. So I had to come up with something pretty quick. So what I've got, what I've done is I've gone with my personal favorite band of all time. So I guess I'm showing my hand a little bit here by picking this album. So I'm obviously going to like it. A bit like, obviously, Matt's selection tonight. So this is a band, my favorite band of all time, the greatest heavy metal band of all time, in my humble opinion. A band I went to see live just last week for something oh. like the, the, 11th, the 11th time, I think it was. <laughs> I am talking, of course, about the Majestic Iron Maiden. And the album I was going to pick was, go, was going to be Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. But I thought we've, we've done the concept album tonight. One concept album doesn't necessarily need to lead to another. So I think, you know, if I was laying on the, the, another concept album, it might be a little bit too much for two episodes in a row. So that, that will stay in the pocket for another time. So I'm going to keep it nice and simple and go back to 1982, Bruce Dickinson's debut album with the band, the seminal The Number of the Beast. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, look at so, that. Uh, get your devil worshipping done in the next four weeks. <laughs> Dave was ready for it. Okay, there's a little taste. So, Matthew, thank you for this, my friend. This has been a treat. And, You're um, welcome, and has, I'm going to miss the ma- being on for Maiden. This is a great album. <laughs> <laughs> Will we ever know if one, of, us, if one of us can't ideas. make it for next time we know who we can tag in? So that yes. was Matthew Lloyd, Dave Horrocks, Max Byrne. I'm Tony Farina. Thank you all for listening to another joyous episode of Mandatory Music and CD, where we sit and we learn about our lives. Listen, this is about the story of our lives, and we all learned the story of Matthew B. Lloyd's live tonight. And uh, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you in a month. Bye, everybody. Bye now.